So I was peacefully making my way down the streets of Lidditz, and I had a friend with me, and my friend had a, a beautiful sweatshirt that had the letters E-A-G-L-E-S on it, right? It was an eagle sweatshirt. We were walking again peacefully down the streets, and uh, suddenly somebody rolls down their window and just yells out the window, Go Cowboys! And uh, I checked, and I was like, did I know the person? Maybe it was one of you wanting to, to gently tease me, but it wasn't. It was just a, a random stranger who decided to spread holiday cheer by heckling us. And, but, you know, as an Eagles fan, I'm, I'm used to this kind of uh, treatment because, well, 45 years ago this weekend in 1968, somebody was badly impersonating Santa and uh, another fan decided to throw a snowball at him. And so ever since then, Eagles fans have been the people that throw snowballs at Santa, which has, has meant then that for the last 45 years, there is, um, there is always justification, there is always grounds for heckling or harassing an Eagles fan, right? Because of something that happened now two generations ago. And I bring this up, obviously, in jest, but, but also because this is the pattern that happens for us as humans. Somebody does something at some point in history, and then that becomes the justification, the ground for treating that person, that group, that tribe, that team, that whatever, that company, badly. Right? And so this is sort of what's happened in a really not funny way in, in the Middle East, where Hamas felt justified in kidnapping Israelis because of the encroachment of the settlements, and now Israel felt justified in carpet-bombing Gaza. And this goes back to what happened in 1967, back to 1945, back to 1320, back to 465 B.C., back to 975 B.C., right? There's always some justification in the past for our present aggression and enmity towards somebody else. And this can happen, and not just on a geopolitical, but in our own lives, Somebody does something at a family gathering. They say something. They, they do something. Somebody does something or says something at a holiday Christmas party or, or at a practice on a, on a sports team we're in or, or during a math class or something. And, and suddenly that means that they've hurt us and we're justified then in not liking them and seeking to undermine them and to get back at them because, well, they did it first, and that's the kind of person they are. And we end up as humans then in these cycles, these cycles of retaliation and retribution. And so the, the question becomes, what's going to break such cycles in the world at large, in our families in our workplaces, in our communities. Well, today, Zechariah is, we've heard from him in the Gospel of Luke, and, and he is overjoyed at the birth of his son. But he doesn't simply offer happy or even poetic words, but he, he prophesies, he begins to, to speak about God's future. 
And, and, he, and he shares uh, about how that not only will his son be a forerunner, but he begins to point towards the Messiah, the one who is to come, who we confess is Jesus. And he says that, that ultimately there'll be a light that shines in the darkness, and, and this will guide people in paths of peace. And how much in our hearts do we, do we long for this? Do we long for the paths of peace in our families, in our hearts, in our communities, and in our world? Indeed, we pray, Savior of the nations, come and guide our paths in ways of peace. But how do we get there? How do we, how do we get to, to those paths of peace? Well, Zechariah today has this beautiful words for us that, that 2,000 years later, they're, they're still prophetic. They still speak to us. And Zechariah declares that it's by the tender mercy, the tender mercy that breaks forth from on high and starts the new day. It's about a knowledge of salvation and forgiveness you see, in order for there to be any kind of breaking of this hardness of heart, of these cycles of hatred, of these ways in which we retain and hold on to the ways in which people have hurt us, it's going to require mercy. It's going to require forgiveness. It's going to require an inbreaking of something greater than ourselves, a word, a deed outside of ourselves that softens our hearts and the hearts of somebody else. And this is precisely what Jesus Christ has, has done in the cross. Jesus has interrupted human history. Jesus has interrupted the, the human story, the human family, and intervened with an act of mercy and love for you and for this world. But I want to I wanna flesh out with you, I want to reflect with you on, on how that event on the cross becomes not just something in the past, but that which transforms us now and enables us to walk in paths of peace. The last Sunday, I, I spoke with you about the way of the cross. And I confess that I preached the truth, nothing but the truth, but I didn't quite get to the whole truth. Because I said that the way of the cross was, was acts of mercy for those who are in need. And this is what, yes, indeed, Jesus has taught us and Jesus has modeled for us in his life and, again, ultimately in the cross. But the, the way of the cross is also this, this path, this way of practicing forgiveness and discovering again and again our need to go before our Savior on the cross for strength and for healing and for mercy and for guidance. So again, I want to reflect with you on the way of the cross and what it means for us to practice forgiveness and to, to walk then in those paths of peace. And to get at that, I'd, I'd like to, to offer two challenges, maybe even temptations that we face when it comes to, to walking in paths of peace, to, to stumbling blocks for us. And the first, the first is that when it comes to forgiveness, when it comes to mercy, we're often too quick, we're often too quick to forgive. Now that sounds like one of the dumbest things a pastor could say, right? Shouldn't we be all about moving right away into forgiveness? Well, what, what the mistake, what the temptation is that we can begin to believe that we're God and that we have an ability to process pain, 
As if our liver and our kidney could somehow process emotional and spiritual pain and just within 24 hours purge it from our body. The reality is that when there's been real hurt between us and somebody else, we can commit to forgiveness, but it's going to take time. It's going to take time to recognize the hurt within, to recognize and acknowledge the ways in which we have stumbled, and to give the other person space and time to heal as well. I had a friend once who, it was his first serious girlfriend, and after she unceremoniously dumped him, he was hurt. It happens. And he was, and I, and I met with him the next day, and he was all riled up, but he said, you know, I'm a Christian, and so I forgive her. And I looked at him, and I said in my mind, no, you have not. Anyway, it would be at least three months as he began really to sort of un unpack his hurt, the way in which he had hopes and, and all of the stuff that went with the breakup. And it would take at least another three months after that for him to begin really to heal. You see, we, we have to go to the cross. We have to go to the cross. And before our Savior let go of our own narrative of self-defense, of self-justification, and acknowledge humbly what we have done wrong. We have to hand over our sorrow and our pain to the one whose body actually can process pain, and that is, again, our Savior. And then as we sit there in the uncomfortable darkness, waiting for the dawn of reconciliation and mercy to break forth, we have to ask for patience and long-suffering as we await as we await God's mercy to work its way in and through the human heart, as we pray, Savior of the nations, come into this world and come into my and this other person's heart. But there's a, another temptation too, another stumbling block for us, and that is, is that we can hold on to resentment. You see, it may be that God has, has begun shining the new day, but, but we're not ready for it yet. Beautiful illustration provided by Pastor Stuckey this week in Bible study, and it's from Winnie the Pooh. And there's one time when, when Pooh gets stuck in a tree because he's, he's grabbing honey, and all he has to do is let go of the honey, and then he could be unstuck. But the honey is so sweet and he will not let go of the honey, even though he can't eat it where it is. That's a lot like resentment. It, it kind of feels good to be angry, because when, when we're angry, we then are justified in how we treat the other person, because they wronged us. And our anger protects us. It protects us from, from having to be vulnerable, admit that we're wrong. It, it protects us from from having to try new things. It prevents us from having to open our hearts to get hurt again. And so we just hold on to that honey in the tree, even though there's a, a new day of reconciliation that God wants us to, to live into and, and walk in paths of peace. But we're just stuck holding on. And so we're invited and called to go to the cross. And in the cross to see Jesus Christ outstretched, dying, and recognize that 
We too need courage, courage again to be vulnerable, courage again to to love and let a person perhaps maybe just back in our lives, knowing that even if it doesn't work out, Christ will build us back up again. Again, there's the way of the cross here in terms of praying, praying again and again for Christ to work on our hearts and the hearts of somebody else. You see, there are times, though, when when that tender mercy does break forth. And God does open up a door. And that that might be at a conversation in the grocery store and you, you sort of coincidentally run into somebody. Or it might be that somehow you helped somebody that, unbeknownst to you, was a good friend of that other person. And that made them thank you. And again, things begin to soften. Or you find yourself suddenly laughing about something with this person that you were so frustrated with. Again, the Lord is is at work, and the tender mercy does break forth, and it forth like the dawn. It's just so, so faint. You sometimes can't see it if you're not paying attention. But again, that that mercy breaks forth. A few years ago, my my brother was very upset with me, and I I wasn't really sure sure fully why, and so I I wanted to to make amends, but it, it wasn't really working. But then I, I found out that, that there was an invitation that I could go to, to Tanzania. And I didn't want to go alone, and, and so I, I wondered what I should do, and I, and I sensed God was, was working here, pulling on my, my heart, and so I said to my brother, would, would you like to come to, to Tanzania? And he thought about it, and, and then he said, yes, yes, he would. And, and so we went, and it it was a very demanding trip, emotionally, physically, spiritually, and I'm so thankful that, that he went with me. And in the middle of our life, it became this sort of recalibration of our, our relationship as we got to walk together in these paths of peace. I, I had tried things, but again, on, on my own, I couldn't bring forth that, that mercy. It's about God intervening in our lives. And so we pray. We pray in those times when there is not peace in the world or in our hearts, where all we can do is live with an uncomfortable ceasefire. We, we pray that the Savior of the nations will come, come into our hearts and come into their hearts, that there might be that, that movement and that the mercy will interrupt and change our, our cycles of, of retribution and, and hurt. But then we also not only pray, Savior of the nations, come, we also pray, Savior, open our eyes. Open our eyes to where you have already come, where your forgiveness and your new life is at work, where the new day is dawning. And then give us the courage to follow in your footsteps of peace. Amen.